I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 42 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. The spectacular launch of Apollo 11 in 1969 seemed a noble expression of the full potential of rational human scientific reasoning. The apparent success of that first manned lunar flight also established a profound measure of public pride and confidence in the stalwart dedication and integrity of the men and women employed by America's first civilian space agency, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA. In 1969, no human endeavor could have appeared more far removed from primitive superstitions and ancient occult mysticism than our National Space Agency, an agency whose rocketry success was solidly grounded in precise mathematical logic and practical technological rationality. And yet, while a decade of NASA's spaceflight wizardry enthralled a nation of television viewers almost nightly, the truth of NASA's deeply dark occult origins was discreetly hidden from public awareness. Origins linked, perhaps, to the most wicked of occult practitioners in modern history. None other than self-proclaimed Satanist, Aleister Crowley himself. This uncanny convergence of science and mysticism was facilitated by the rocket pioneer genius and founder of Caltech's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, John Whiteside Parsons. In the years just prior to the Second World War, Jack Parsons and a handful of his Caltech buddies were working to perfect solid fuel rocket propulsion. Parsons' rocket project limped along on a shoestring budget until his efforts drew serious attention from the Defense Department. 
Thanks to the war, his research expanded into a major rocket design enterprise that would become known as the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, JPL, which in turn would develop a vital association with more advanced space rocket design proposed by the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. But Jack Parsons was possessed with extraordinary ideas that sought far loftier heights than mere space rocket designs. Parsons was fascinated by the occult, and in 1941 he was to join the Pasadena chapter of Ordo Templi Orientis, Aleister Crowley's secret society. Not long after, Parsons took over the Agape Lodge himself. Observing Parsons' natural aptitude for ritual sex magic, called Thelema, the membership saw him as a potential successor to the great beast, Aleister Crowley himself, whom Parsons addressed as Most Beloved Father. Born on October 12, 1875 in Warwickshire, England, Aleister Crowley was an English occultist ceremonial magician, poet, painter, novelist, and mountaineer. He was responsible for founding the religion and philosophy of sexual magic, Thelema, in which role he identified himself as the prophet entrusted with guiding humanity into the Aeon of Horus in the early 20th century. In 1898 he joined the esoteric Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, where he was trained in ceremonial magic. Like many of that era, Crowley was something of a crusading militant intellectual, determined to break down the conventions of accepted social morality. Later he traveled to Mexico and then India to study Hindu and Buddhist practices. In 1904 he married Rose Edith Kelly and they honeymooned in Cairo, Egypt. In the Great Pyramid, Crowley conducted an occult ritual intending to access supernatural powers. The black magic ritual held in the Great Pyramid marked an unexpected turning point in Crowley's life. The following day he recounted, Rose got into a strange state of mind. I had never seen anything like it before. She kept on repeating, dreamily yet intensely, They are waiting for you. They are waiting for you. When Crowley asked Rose who was waiting, she kept repeating that it was Horus, an Egyptian god. Rose knew nothing of magic and even less of Egyptology, making it highly unlikely that she was receiving a message from the gods. But to test what Rose was saying, he took her to the Cairo Museum. And although Rose had never visited the museum before, she rushed through the rooms filled with ancient artifacts, until suddenly she stopped dead before case number 666. There he is, she insisted. Within the case was the image of the god she claimed to have seen in her vision, the god Horus. Over the next three days, at precisely the same time, an unearthly voice dictated to Crowley the Book of the Law, the book that would become the Bible of his new religion. Following their fateful ritual in the Great Pyramid, Crowley's wife Rose mysteriously proclaimed that the equinox of the gods has come. 
the alleged superhuman intelligence contacted by Aleister Crowley during his visit to Egypt was named Iwas, who declared, I am a god of war and vengeance, and then dictated to Crowley a work called The Book of the Law, which prophesied wars and revolutions leading to the collapse of Christian civilizations and the dawn of the Aeon of Horus. Crowley's Bible also proclaims the law of Thelema, usually summed up in three mantra-like verses. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. And every man and every woman is a star. According to another Crowley student, Kenneth Grant, Iwas is an extraterrestrial from Sirius, the stellar representation of the Egyptian goddess Isis. Years later, from January through March of 1918, Crowley began another series of sexual magic ceremonies in New York City called the Amalantra Workings in a Central Park West apartment to intentionally open a portal of entry allowing demonic and other similar entities a passageway to access our earthly world reality. Crowley was convinced that seeking contact with supernatural beings offered the only salvation to the human race. My observation of the universe convinces me that there are beings of intelligence and power of a far higher quality than anything we can conceive of as human. That they are not necessarily based on the cerebral and nervous structures that we know. And that the one and only chance for mankind to advance as a whole is for individuals to make contact with such beings. His ritual in New York established contact with an entity called Lamb. Lamb being a Tibetan word for pathway or pathfinder. Lamb was considered to be of interdimensional origin, which was the term then for extraterrestrial. Crowley's drawing of Lamb bears a striking resemblance to what has become commonly referred to as the gray aliens. Slight-bodied, big-headed, large dark-eyed mannequin creatures which are primarily an American phenomenon. And it is interesting to note that all the lamb workings were done in America. Reports of these UFO-associated entities later became prevalent in the popular culture of the 1980s thanks to Whitley Stryber's best-selling book, Communion, as well as many of the Hollywood alien movies that would follow. The rift in between the spaces of the stars created by the Amalantra working opened a gateway through which Lamb and other extra-cosmic influences could enter the known universe, and more specifically, our Earth-world reality. But according to occultists involved in such things, the portal has since widened, thanks in part to additional hermetic tinkering by Jack Parsons. In 1945, Jack Parsons was high priest of Crowley's Agape Lodge in Pasadena, where he was joined by L. Ron Hubbard, later founder of Scientology. Impressed by Hubbard's exuberance and energy, Jack wrote in a letter to Crowley, 
I deduce that he was in direct touch with some higher intelligence. He is the most thalamic person I have ever met, and is in complete accord with our principles. He was soon initiated into the secrets of the Ordo Templi Orientis, and made Parsons' magical partner. Together, Parsons and Hubbard hatched a sordid sex magic scheme called Babylon Working to bring forth the Antichrist and Apocalypse. Babylon meaning Gateway of the Gods. But even Crowley expressed his misgivings about this project, stating in a letter, Apparently Parsons and Hubbard, or somebody, is producing a moon child. I get fairly frantic when I contemplate the idiocy of these louts. A moon child is a human vehicle for a demon seed, not unlike Rosemary's baby. From the diaries of the participants, it was also clear that they were not as adept as Crowley in the closings of portals. What their amateur efforts may have accomplished was the drastic enlargement and ripping of an existing magical portal, and the subsequent non-closure of it. Perhaps the rip they created was not possible to close. In any event, the modern UFO era began exactly a year and a half later, on June 24, 1947, with Kenneth Arnold's sighting over the Cascade Mountains in Washington State, as well as the UFO crash at Roswell, New Mexico. Successful or not, this ambitious scheme collapsed on itself when Hubbard skipped town with Parsons' wife Betty and allegedly $50,000. Later Hubbard claimed he was operating on orders from the Navy to break up the black magic cult at JPL. But despite their lofty hermetic ambitions, the lives of Crowley, Parsons, and Hubbard all came to tragic ends. Alistair Crowley died a destitute heroin addict in 1947. In June of 1952, Jack Parsons was killed in what was claimed to be an accidental explosion in his home laboratory. The FBI quickly moved in and mysteriously seized all his records and notes, which remain classified to this day. And L. Ron Hubbard died of a stroke in 1986. Following Crowley's fateful ritual in the Great Pyramid in 1904, his wife Rose proclaimed that the equinox of the gods has come. According to the Book of the Law that he transcribed, the rulership of three gods has held a determining force on the fate of the world throughout human history. First was the Aeon of Isis, whose reign was matriarchal and nurturing. Next was the Aeon of Osiris, her consort, whose influence was patriarchal destructive and full of turmoil. The Aeon of Horus, child of Isis and Osiris, was ushered in by Crowley, and is the age we live in today. Horus, as ruler, is but a child, and throughout this age we will witness the child maturing, and thus the stability of the world solidifying gradually into more harmonious new ways of thought. However, the Aeon of Horus will be preceded by an era of great violence, aggression and fire.
Shall we simply dismiss Crowley and Parsons as an eccentric pair of lecherous crackpots? Or have higher initiates within secret society operations recognized that certain profound revelations might be gleaned from their magical workings? Revelations so profound as to be secretly incorporated into specific space exploration projects. Is it possible that Crowley did in fact make contact with extraterrestrial beings? And was he alone in his efforts? In 1919, just one year after Crowley's Amalanthra workings in New York City, members of an occult group in Germany called the Vril Society claimed to have established telepathic contact through trance medium Maria Orsic with beings from the Aldebaran star system in the constellation of Taurus. These aliens were said to have actually gifted the Vril Society with flying saucer technology. Even famed German rocket engineer Hermann Oberth himself admitted the success of German technological advances during the war was thanks in part to the people of other worlds. And later, following World War II, there evolved a curious convergence of American and Nazi technologies within NASA's space rocket development programs. Was merely building more superior rockets than the Russians the driving motivation for such an odd alliance? Or was it something deeper, darker, and far more occult? And more than that, just what explains the driving motivation behind the relentless perpetuation of secret societies all throughout human history? Crowley's main goal of practicing Western magic was to advance humanity by contact with higher intelligence, either by calling them down or by traveling to their planet. Crowley believed contact with these higher intelligences was attainable by becoming one with them, that is by metamorphing into man-gods or supermen. This goal was attainable through the ancient systems of Hebrew and Babylonian Kabbalah and other forms of metaphysical science. The Kabbalah is a collection of Jewish magical texts that were given to mankind via psychic communion with a fallen angel called Raziel, Keeper of the Secrets. Raziel is one of the fallen angels that serve the Lightbringer Lucifer. The Kabbalah gives Kabbalists a road map called the Tree of Life, which explains how to invoke and communicate with a pantheon of powerful spirits. The magical information in the Kabbalah originates from Babylon and ancient Egypt at the time of the pharaohs. The Holy Grail sought by the Knights Templar in the secret chambers under Solomon's Temple was not gold and treasures. It was instead the Hebrew Kabbalistic text itself which contains secret alchemical codes with which physical matter can be transformed molecule by molecule by the use of incantations of ancient Hebrew letters and numbers. The secret codes to gain mastery over the illusory nature of reality itself. This was the heart of Crowley's ritual magic as well as Freemasonry's. But the quest for attaining the gods was not limited to Hebrew Kabbalah. A powerful impulse 
to access its supernatural roots appeared in Germany after the turn of the 20th century. Disaffected with the gross materialism of rampant industrialization, the German people sought new doctrines that would restore lost links to their true cultural heritage. In 1881, Madame Helena Blavatsky claimed to have traveled to Tibet and there to have been initiated into the secrets of spiritual masters she called the Hidden Elect. In the doctrines of occultists, the Hidden Elect or the Great White Brotherhood are believed to be humans who by initiation and self-denial have risen to become adepts. They have gained powers and knowledge beyond those of ordinary mortals. Unlike Aleister Crowley, Madame Blavatsky did not claim to be an adept in her own right, but she did claim constant telepathic communication with her hidden masters. They had revealed to her, their chosen one, the occult history of the human race, within which contained the conception of the blonde, blue-eyed Aryan race as being the master race. Austrian clairvoyant Guido von Liszt believed that in the Germans more than any other people runs the blood of the mythical race called by Madame Blavatsky the Aryans. Liszt saw the outbreak of World War I as proof that the modern world with its materialism and its democracy was destroying itself. But out of war and destruction would come the victory of the German cause and the beginning of an Aryan millennium. Liszt revived the prayer of the 16th century philosopher and heretic Giordano Bruno. Old Jove let the Germans realize their own strength, and they shall not be men, but gods. Like Aleister Crowley and Madame Blavatsky, Liszt's psychic researches led him to believe in the existence of a hidden elect. His visions of the ancient Germanic tribes had revealed to him an elite class of priest rulers called the Armenenschaft. The role of the Armenenschaft was to preserve the occult knowledge of the Germans' Aryan ancestors. Liszt claimed that the imposition of Christianity on the Teutonic tribes and the persecution of the followers of the old religion forced the Armenenschaft to continue its traditions in secret. Their law had lived on in the rituals and symbols of a network of secret societies. The store of occult knowledge had been preserved down the centuries by Freemasons, Rosicrucians, and chivalrous orders of the Knights Templar. With the rise of National Socialism in Germany, Hitler's deputy Heinrich Himmler formed a new occult order of Teutonic Knights out of the Armenenschaft, which became the Nazi SS, a powerful secret society that would eventually claim German rocket design genius Werner von Braun as one of its members. After World War II, thanks to Operation Paperclip, von Braun and virtually his entire Nazi V-2 rocket design staff were repatriated into America's space rocket program, where they would continue to pursue their own secret space exploration ambitions. history of the occult is a legacy of daring exploration. 
from the Knights Templar seeking out hidden chambers under King Solomon's temple. There arose a secret society brotherhood determined to seek out the lost mysteries of ancient alchemical magic. Christopher Columbus followed Templar traditions to set out for the New World. Even the colonies fighting for existence in early America were a Freemasonic enterprise. As well, the daring explorations of Freemasons Lewis and Clark opened North America for pioneer settlement. More recently, daring 33-degree Freemason Admiral Richard E. Byrd and his pilot Burnt Balkan in 1928 dropped Masonic flags on both the North and South Poles. Balkan even added his shrine Fez. In the Antarctic Expedition of 1933, 60 of its 82 members were Freemasons and on February 5, 1935, Bert established the first Masonic Antarctic Lodge, number 777, of the New Zealand Constitution. Rare mention is given to the fact that in late 1938, just before World War II, Admiral Richard E. Bird visited Hamburg, Germany and was invited to participate in the pending Nazi Neuschwabenland Antarctic Expedition. Despite his great expertise with polar exploration, Byrd declined the German invitation. However, in 1947, a United States Navy task force under his command was dispatched to the Antarctic for the alleged purpose of mapping the pole. Was this subtle evidence of a competition between German and American secret societies to rediscover Atlantis under the South Polar Ice? In 1969, assuming the Apollo 11 astronauts actually landed on the moon, while Neil Armstrong hopped about on his moonwalk, 32nd degree Freemason astronaut Buzz Aldrin was performing a solemn Masonic ritual to honor Isis inside the lunar module. His Masonic flag, which accompanied him to the moon and back, is now an honored relic on display at the Scottish Rite Freemason Temple in Washington, D.C. The Holy Grail, sought by secret societies and contained within Kabbalah or Middle Eastern Babylonian magic, was mastery over materia prima, the very fabric of time and space. And it is this key fragment of lost esoteric technologies, the hermetic secret of materia prima, that has been preserved by ancient priesthoods and after many centuries passed on as the occult alchemy or practical magic still utilized by modern secret societies today. Common occult symbols variously represent materia prima or the unseen hyperdimensional physics that drives our physical reality. The hexagram, far more than the representation of Judaism, is symbolic of the spinning tetrahedron. Even the swastika is a stylized representation of spinning torsion physics. The age-old alchemical quest has been to steal materia prima down from heaven and capture it in material form within this world's three-dimensional existence. Could this be the secret motivation behind particular NASA projects? Is it conceivable that high initiates within NASA had been made aware from certain Aleister Crowley channelings that specific artifacts existed on the Moon, Mars, and even Venus that were essential components for the continued advancement of this hermetic understanding and alchemical mastery.
that the alchemical Holy Grail lies just beyond our grasp on the Moon or Mars. Just prior to World War II, when Jack Parsons was experimenting with rocket engines in Pasadena's Arroyo Seco, on the other side of the country, 33rd degree Freemason and head of the National Science Foundation, Dr. Vannevar Bush, was working with noted Harvard astronomer, Dr. Donald Menzel, to develop the Differential Analyzer, an analog computer capable of predicting centuries ahead the future positions of stars and planets from any point in the solar system, an indispensable tool that would eventually allow NASA to accurately predict planetary configurations related to flight mission specifics, not to mention arcane astrological configurations. Curiously, following the Roswell UFO crash in 1947, both doctors Vannevar Bush and Donald Menzel were to figure prominently as major players on President Truman's top-secret Magic 12 UFO investigation team. By 1958, the distinctly civilian National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, was born with ambitious plans for both manned and unmanned space exploration missions. Having studied the potential social ramifications of such projects, the Brookings Institution filed a report in 1960 entitled Proposed Studies on the Implications of Peaceful Space Activities for Human Affairs. This report cautioned that anthropological files contain many examples of societies sure of their place in the universe which have disintegrated when they had to associate with previously unfamiliar societies espousing different ideas and different life ways. Thus, to avoid social disintegration, the Brookings Report recommended that discovery of any extraterrestrial life forms or their artifacts might be wisely withheld from general public disclosure. However, the report curiously made specific reference to the Moon, Mars, and Venus as being possible repositories for such extraterrestrial artifacts, almost as if knowledge of the existence of such artifacts had already been established and specifically targeted for recovery. Thus considering the profound influence of Aleister Crowley over Jack Parsons at the inception of JPL, the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, and its subsequent intrinsic association with the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, do we dare surmise that major space exploration projects have been deeply influenced, if not directed, by Crowley's alleged associations with extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional entities? As early as 1918, Crowley's aliens revealed the existence of tantalizing artifacts on Mars. Now, Crowley, in the latter part of the last century, and the beginning of this, the 20th, claimed to have had many such indescribable contacts, but two were of the greatest importance in apparently redirecting his entire life, and thus changing the face of modern magic for all who followed. And as astonishing as it may seem, it may be that almost a century ago, 
Crowley was given a revelation about things that are coming to pass, even as we speak here tonight. The first contact that Crowley relates was in April of 1904 in Cairo. Cairo, by the way, is Seleucid Arabic for Mars. Crowley tells us that he encountered an entity who he considered to be his, quote, holy guardian angel. This entity identified himself as Iwas and proceeded to dictate to Crowley the so-called Book of the Law, or what would eventually become to some the canon of 20th century magical practice. By the time of Hitler's rise, most of pre-World War II European occult traditions were dominated by the magical system that Crowley painstakingly created. And Hitler himself was envious of Crowley's infamy as the most evil man in the world, as well as his magical prowess. Hitler said this in several volumes, including one called Hitler Speaks. Crowley claims that his second otherworldly encounter, which resulted in an even more profound influence on his work in magic, occurred at Montauk, Long Island in New York in 1918. This entity introduced himself as Lamb, which Crowley was quick to point out meant pathmaker, pathfinder, in the Tibetan language. It is from this word that Lamas of Tibet are so called. The Lamb was also the ancient symbol for Aries, Mars, as well as the resurrected God, Tammuz, Osiris, Christ, etc. Rising from the ashes, Crowley drew an effigy of lamb which eerily represents the popular modern image of an alien some half a century later. Lamb told Crowley a story about Mars all right, concerning a lotus flower, the three-petaled Pathfinder lander perchance, symbolic of hyperdimensional physics, looking at a mountain peak which had sharp edges where something sits and shines like the sun on water. He said it was a seed waiting to be born. This story is also related in the earlier book of the law as dictated by Iwas, where it is written that, quote, there will be a reward of Rahur Kuit, an aspect of Horus, the babe in the egg, waiting to be reborn, whose number is 97. Lamb then goes on to state, Thou art to go this way, and speaks of a lightning flash of enlightenment, which in occult tradition is symbolic of Mars, the god of war and fire. The power behind these occult systems of philosophy, on which the various mystery schools have historically been based, lies in the beliefs of their practitioners, that they embody universal laws of nature, reflecting fundamental properties embedded in everything visible to human beings, including man himself. No one person, people or race, can thus lay just claim to own such laws, although many throughout history, such as Hitler, have made the attempt. Two exquisite but radically different examples of the encoding of such natural systems here on Earth are demonstrated by the Hebrew alphabet and by none other than the great pyramid of Giza, Egypt. So let me do this. 
The designers of these two similar but separately unique creations, in fact, apparently have encoded the same internal systems within each, an unfolding mathematical or architectural pattern communicating information proposed by their designers to be streaming from higher dimensions, i.e. a hyperdimensional physics, into our familiar three-dimensional reality. Radically different schematic blueprints represented by widely divergent physical systems here on Earth for, in essence, preserving identical yet extremely ancient views of the origin and structure of the universe. One aspect of war on Earth may well be the battle to become heir to all aspects of this ancient, crucial knowledge of reality and keep the other guy from finding out. Those in power apparently on rediscovering this ancient knowledge preserved from when and where repeatedly make apparent conscious decisions to keep it for themselves. They repeatedly set up institutions recognized as priesthoods, Sumer, Babylon, Egypt, in order to dole out crumbs from this priceless storehouse to all the rest of us, while they do their level best to keep the real secret doctrines totally away. And the reasons are not always selfish, at least it doesn't seem to always start out that way. Usually it comes about because one of those with this special information cannot always freely share what one knows because of the real threat of being persecuted during one of those myriad inquisitions that roll over the planet from time to time to time. However, even when it becomes safe to reveal such knowledge without fear of persecution, as when democracies eventually arise, the withholding of such knowledge by a chosen few seems to become the prime objective for reasons based on arrogance, patriarchy, and discrimination by the chosen. There is also a belief within the mystery schools themselves that true understanding and evolution can only come about through proper cultivation and innate revelation brought about by symbolism and a consistent array of subtle images and themes. This process is supposed to enable the individual to reveal the bigger picture from within. It appears that this methodology for revealing long secret information is currently taking place at many levels in society, imperiled by those with the foregoing view. Thus, simultaneous with the controllers, there may also exist a few benevolent efforts, truly benevolent efforts, to leak images and paint pictures in a way that those with eyes will see. Is this possibly why we're getting this incredible information about Mars out of JPL, even as they lie at all these press conferences? I mean, I would like to think so. I would really like to think that there is a counterforce, you know, that we've got allies up there, and whatever their long-term agenda, their short-term agenda appears to be to give us the tools to fight back, to face lies with truth. President John F. Kennedy was not a Freemason, and after only four months in office, he openly spoke out against secret societies. 
Yet NASA basked in the warmth of his ardent enthusiasm for space exploration right up until November 12, 1963, when he ordered Freemason mission director James Webb to initiate NASA plans for a joint United States-Soviet lunar exploration initiative. From that point, the occult brotherhoods closed ranks against Kennedy. And faithful to their oaths of secrecy, the traitor was ritually sacrificed in the open-air Masonic Temple, Dealey Plaza in Dallas, Texas, November 22, 1963. Immediately following Kennedy's assassination, Congressman Albert Thomas, Freemason protege of Lyndon Johnson, who controlled NASA's funding, shared a knowing wink with Lyndon Johnson aboard Air Force One that NASA's occult secrets were saved. Since its inception, NASA had become the occult empire of not only the Masons, but of Hitler's SS and Crowley's magicians. These ritual elitists had literally stolen the entire space program for themselves from the rest of all mankind. They had apparently been discreetly incubating for many years, even before NASA, with Brookings Institution insiders to foment political excuses to keep key NASA discoveries carefully hidden from the general public. The space agency appears to have been nothing less than a massive technological effort to validate their hermetic visions of literally accessing the home of Osiris on the surface of the moon and beyond, to which they and they alone deserved sole access. Space is destined to remain the exclusive possession of only those with the proper bloodlines and perspectives. All three of these secret societies retain at their core a deep obsession with the gods and magic of ancient Egypt. Thus it should not be surprising to discover that the sole individual responsible for selection of the Apollo landing sites was himself an Egyptian. Dr. Farouk El-Baz was born in Cairo, Egypt and educated in the United States. He was a geologist who taught in Germany and the United States before becoming involved with NASA's space program in 1967 when he applied for a position at Belcom, the corporation handling communication systems for the Apollo program. But after El-Baz came on board, Belcom's job description underwent a significant change. They were now suddenly in charge of selecting the actual landing sites for the Apollo program. In fact, El-Baz was solely in charge of the site selection process. El-Baz became the guy who picked all of the landing sites, controlled the dissemination and analysis of all the photography, and directly oversaw the astronauts' geological training preparing them for what they would actually observe on the lunar surface. In short, he was the most powerful single individual in the American space program. And it just so happens that Elba's father was an expert in the ancient Egyptian stellar religions of Isis and Osiris. So basically you have the son of an expert on the Osiris cults picking the landing sites where all the occult stellar alignments take place. All of the NASA landing site selection meetings were private, all of their meetings were classified, and none of their paperwork has been declassified. Now lest there be any lingering doubts about NASA's occult devotion to ancient Egypt, consider the name of its pending 2016 robotic asteroid landing mission, 
Osiris Rex. When I was talking with the gentleman from Belcom, and and we were discussing uh, the lie, everything he was telling me was different from what we were being told uh, was the truth. And at one point, I asked him. I said, "Man, you guys, you, you lied about a lot, didn't you?" And instantly, he said, "No, we didn't lie about certain things. We lied about everything. None of it was true." Understand that those occult practitioners who already partially rule over nations and worldly governments have pretensions to absolute omnipotent domination. This is the only thing which they have not yet achieved. Unless there be any lingering doubts about the conspiratorial nature of Freemasonry, consider this quote from 33rd degree Freemason General Albert Pike, taken from his Masonic Lexicon book, Morals and Dogma. Masonry, like all the religions, all the mysteries, hermeticism, and alchemy, conceals its secrets from all except the adepts and sages, or the elect, and uses false explanations and misinterpretations of its symbols to mislead those who deserve only to be misled, to conceal the truth which it calls light from them, and to draw them away from it. Truth is not for those who are unworthy, or unable to receive it, or would pervert it. The truth must be kept secret, and the masses need a teaching proportioned to their imperfect reason. Every man's conception of God must be proportioned to his mental cultivation and intellectual powers and moral excellence. God is, as man conceives him, the reflected image of man himself. After more than 50 years, the UFO enigma has been thoroughly established in the popular media as being evidence of visitation by intelligent, off-planet life forms. That these are physical beings that inhabit far distant alien planets from within our own galaxy or possibly even beyond. Acceptance of this theory gives one at least a general sense of comforting remoteness to such alien life forms that yes their visitations may be random and unpredictable but less threatening since they live so far away however given the extremely narrow limitations of our human five sense perceptions to assume such mysterious entities have the same physical limitations as we do might be very hazardous modern quantum physics is just beginning to confirm what was common knowledge to ancient alchemists, that we exist in an ocean of energy that they called ether, and that this ether permeating our world 
also reaches out even unto the stars. As well, the ancient alchemists fully understood that this etheric realm was vastly inhabited, and at least some of these entities, assumed by modern materialistic society to be remote extraterrestrials, are really non-physical spirit entities no more distant than our own living rooms. Of course, over the centuries, this knowledge of the etheric has been systematically removed from the general population and preserved in occult teachings for only the worthy high initiates of powerful secret societies. Actually, ancient shamanic adepts were skilled in communicating with the denizens of unseen worlds centuries before radio telescopes were even thought of. In fact, the rise of the so-called Age of Enlightenment and the advent of scientific thought may have been a clever alchemical deceit designed to inspire obsessive materialism, thus distracting the mass public mind away from higher esoteric spiritual knowledge, knowledge jealously guarded for only the loftiest occult initiates. Truth is not for those who are unworthy or unable to receive it or would pervert it. The truth must be kept secret and the masses need a teaching proportioned to their imperfect reason. As such, perhaps the popular notion of alien abductions heavily promoted by UFO research groups like MUFON as well as the mass media is also a deception proportioned for the imperfect reason of the unsuspecting public. Rational reductionist science for the last century has generally convinced modern culture that our five sense 3D reality is all that exists. That life after death, telepathy, astrology, angels and demons are all so much medieval nonsense. Therefore claims of alien abduction can only be evidence of some psychological aberration within the minds of the victims themselves. However, the amount of evidence amassed after years of abduction research clearly demonstrates that someone or something from outside our accepted physical reality is able to access and manipulate our physical reality in ways curiously similar to age-old accounts of demonological encounters. Were demons actually aliens, or are aliens actually demons? Demons are manifestly evil entities commonly understood to exist in a structured etheric hierarchy parallel to human physical reality. As such, they are said to be the subliminal architects of all human aggression, suffering, and misery. Demonic entities are known for their predatory cunning and deceptive machinations in human affairs. However, demons themselves may be the result of human creation. Fundamentally, humans are thought-creating beings living in a thought universe. We create everything in our world out of thought. The more human beings focus their awareness on something specific, the more certain it will actually manifest. Over time, however, thought-creating human awareness has become so profoundly identified with the illusory world of material creation that it has lost sentient connection with its original parent oneness. 
yet its ability to manifest focused thought is no less potent. Ancient Egyptian and Babylonian magicians understood the power of collective thought and how it could be used to manifest thought form entities. Given enough energy, such entities could become real, acting autonomously, as if possessed with a life of their own. Since antiquity, these egregore, or thought-form entities, have grown ever stronger and all-knowing. Occult sorcerers, through ceremonial magic, sought to control these entities in order to gain rare knowledge and supernatural powers. The black magic practitioners, seeking to gratify their own ambitions, realized these entities could be programmed like computer software to be used for good or evil. In other words, the awesome power of collective human emotions can be harnessed to precipitate manifestations of benevolent angels, wicked demons, or even aliens from space. As well, the ancient traditions of accessing assistance from such powerful etheric entities are preserved and practiced by modern secret societies to this day. Satanists, the Dark Illuminati, the Black Magic Masters are able to conjure these denizens from hyperdimensional space to do their bidding. The modern fascination with UFOs began in June of 1947 when private pilot Kenneth Arnold claimed seeing nine unknown, shiny objects flying near Mount Rainier, Washington. The press sensationalized his report by labeling the objects as flying saucers. And to this day, mysterious flying objects are consistently reported worldwide. And although these objects have become generally accepted as visitors from outer space, only a handful of researchers have dared to offer a deeper, darker explanation for this phenomenon. While the main thrust of UFO research has been preoccupied with crashed saucers, alien bodies, back-engineered anti-gravity technologies, and secret Nazi flying disks, a significant mystical aspect to ufology has been virtually ignored. But 1947 was also significant as the year of notorious British Satanist Aleister Crowley's death. Little mention is made in UFO research to a ritual magic ceremony performed in New York in 1918 whereby Crowley allegedly opened a dimensional portal to alien entities. Styled as the Alamantra workings, Crowley's ritual accessed an etheric entity called Lamb, whose image bore a striking resemblance to alien entities that 70 years later would become popularly known as the Greys. Moreover, in the years just prior to his death, Aleister Crowley served as mentor to noted American rocket scientist Jack Parsons in Pasadena, California. Parsons founded the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which, in association with NASA, was instrumental in the manned Apollo rocket launches during the 1960s. But aside from rocket design, Parsons was also Grand Master of Crowley's Ordo Templi Orientis, Satanic Lodge in Pasadena. As well, Parsons and Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard in 1945 also conducted ritual sex magic workings deliberately intended to invoke the Antichrist. 
In June 1952, Jack Parsons died in a mysterious explosion at his Pasadena home. And just one month later, Washington, D.C. was besieged with a flight of UFOs. An innocuous coincidence? Perhaps. But there is nothing innocuous in the disturbing similarity between alien abductions and occult satanic initiation rituals. This series of special projects conducted in the California desert in 1945 and 1946 by Parsons and Hubbard was for the express purpose of opening an interdimensional gateway that had been sealed since antiquity. This would allow other dimensional entities called the Old Ones access to our time-space continuum, resulting in extra-dimensional contact. It was the use of black magic and the marriage of unknown forces to allegedly bring alien drones into the world, organic robots who, in the image of nature, would follow the adept's every command. Noted French researcher and author of Messengers of Deception, Dr. Jacques Vallée stated, The symbolic display seen by the abductees is identical to the type of initiation ritual or astral voyage that is embedded in the occult traditions of every culture. The structure of abduction stories is identical to that of occult initiation rituals. The UFO beings of today belong to the same class of manifestation as the occult entities that were described in centuries past. The UFOs are physical manifestations that cannot be understood apart from their psychic and symbolic reality. What we see in effect here is a control system which acts on humans and uses humans. Our contemporary materialistic culture now possesses a dangerously inadequate understanding of the occult or the complex realities of non-physical intelligences. William C. Chittick, author of The Sufi Path of Knowledge, warns of the naive dangers of New Age idealism. Nowadays most people interested in the spirituality of the East desire the experience though they may call what they are after intimate communion with God. Those familiar with the standard norms of spiritual experience set down by disciplined paths like Sufism are usually appalled by the way Westerners seize upon any apparition from the domain outside of normal consciousness as a manifestation of the spiritual. In fact, there are innumerable realms in the unseen world some of them far more dangerous than the worst jungles of the visible world. This general ignorance of non-physical realities easily serves dark magic practitioners who manipulate and deceive to serve their own purposes, or practitioners who themselves are manipulated by etheric entities that wish to access our physical reality. and UFOs themselves are a seductive display of incomprehensible magic. A general consensus seems to agree that UFOs are craft that possess the ability to appear as physical objects that simultaneously manipulate time and space so as to become invisible or perform maneuvers that defy our current understanding of physics and nature. 
But the darker side of this phenomena is the abduction scenario, reported by millions of people all over the world, regardless of time, race, culture, and upbringing. The late Dr. John Mack, Harvard Medical School professor, psychiatrist, and author, also investigated the abduction phenomenon for several decades and came to conclusions similar to Dr. Jacques Vallée. His contributions to the study of ufology and alien abductions is greatly respected. In an interview with Nova Online, when asked if the phenomena was literally physical or psychological, Dr. Max stated that, yes, it's both literally physically happening to a degree, and it's also some kind of psychological spiritual experience occurring and originating, perhaps, in another dimension. And so, the phenomenon stretches us or it asks us to stretch to open to realities that are not simply the literal physical world, but to extend to the possibility that there are other unseen realities from which our consciousness, our, if you will, learning processes over the past several hundred years have closed us off. Author Whitley Stryber, in his classic account of an alien encounter from his book Communion, records his experience with these entities by stating, I became entirely given over to extreme dread. The fear was so powerful that it seemed to make my personality completely evaporate. Whitley ceased to exist. What was left was a body and a state of raw fear so great that it swept about me like a thick, suffocating curtain turning paralysis into a condition that seemed close to death. I died and a wild animal appeared in my place. Then, in his subsequent book, Transformation, The Breakthrough, he delves deeper into the abduction experience, stating, Increasingly I felt as if I were entering a struggle that might even be more than life and death. It might be a struggle for my soul, my essence, or whatever part of me might have reference to the eternal. There are worse things than death, I suspected. So far, the word demon had never been spoken among the scientists and doctors who were working with me. Alone at night, I worried about the legendary cunning of demons. At the very least, I was going stark raving mad. And within the pages of transformation, he further observed, I felt an absolutely indescribable sense of menace. It was hell on earth to be there in the presence of these entities, and yet I couldn't move, couldn't cry out, couldn't get away. I'd lay as still as death, suffering inner agonies. Whatever was there seemed so monstrously ugly, so filthy and dark and sinister. Of course they were demons. They had to be. And they were here and I couldn't get away. According to many researchers in the field, and even the people who have directly experienced this phenomenon, all seem to agree that there is a spiritual element guiding this phenomenon. It is clear that there is a metaphysical nature to the UFOs and the alien abductions themselves. Furthermore, the startling similarities between this phenomena and the occult and other historical mythological accounts of direct contact with demonic entities should be alarming.
Dr. Rick Strassman, author of DMT, The Spirit Molecule, hypothesizes that alien abductions are brought on by the accidental release of DMT, dimethyltryptamine, produced by the pineal gland inside the brain. While conducting DMT research in the 1990s at the University of New Mexico, Dr. Strassman advanced the theory that a massive release of DMT from the pineal gland prior to death or near death was the cause of the near-death experience, NDE phenomenon. Several of his test subjects reported NDE-like audio or visual hallucinations, while others also reported contact with other beings, alien-like, insectoid, or reptilian in nature in highly advanced technological environments where the subjects were carried, probed, tested, manipulated, dismembered, taught, loved, and even raped by these beings. It's interesting to note how similar the accounts of his test subjects who were administered DMT intravenously are in comparison to what can be found in abduction research. DMT is certainly a mystery molecule that seems to open doorways into another world or reality. However, Strassman's theory that abduction experiences are brought on by the accidental release of DMT seems to be short-sighted when taking a closer look into the alien abduction scenario. Does DMT simply generate vivid hallucinations, or is it actually a chemical gateway for consciousness to access hyperdimensional realities? DMT research raises the question of the nature of consciousness as well as the nature of physical reality itself. Does our accepted three-dimensional reality actually interface with multiple hyperdimensional realities that our physical senses simply cannot perceive? Such a physiological limitation places the average human at a distinct disadvantage to unseen predatory dangers. But are there techniques one can employ for protection from menacing hyperdimensional alien denizens. In point of fact, certain abductees have successfully terminated their abduction experience by calling out to Jesus for assistance. This is important considering that certain higher spiritual forces also exist. As well, there is power in specific sounds. The name Jesus was created by the Greeks to have high vibrational energy. The vibrational tone of E in all languages means to separate, and Sus or Zeus means to bring together. As well, abductees have reported that anger or getting upset at the entities does actually help. Also, by educating themselves and learning more about the abduction and UFO phenomenon, they can create an awareness which seems to offer protection. As the saying goes, knowledge protects ignorance and dangers. One of the primary themes of alien abduction accounts has been the harvesting of human genetic material. Aliens have been consistently reported abducting American citizens on a regular basis, conducting experiments on them, collecting specimens of ova and sperm, they have been impregnating women and then later invading those women's bodies again and stealing the unborn fetuses. A respected researcher and abductee herself has been Dr. Carla Turner. She authored three books on the abduction phenomenon, Into the Fringe, Taken, and Masquerade of Angels. 
Dr. Carla Turner died of a strange, fast-acting cancer in 1996 after being threatened for her work. She was only 48 years old. According to her research, Dr. Turner believed that humans were being used as a resource by these aliens in many ways. However, the gray aliens seemed to be merely biogenetic robots performing programmed tasks and were not of themselves a race of their own. In fact, Dr. Carla Turner's courageous investigations into the alien abduction phenomena may have also uncovered a monstrous truth that the so-called gray aliens are not really alien at all, but hideously altered human automatons, and that a top-secret terrestrial project is harvesting human fetal material to manufacture organic robot clones. She stated, Some abductees report being told or shown the small gray workers are mass-produced android robots not soul-bearing individuals and thus not alive as we understand the term. The grays show a strong fetal physiology as numerous descriptions have stated, and given enough mastery of genetics, human reproductive material could be altered so that its appearance resembled the gray type, yet be strictly human in composition rather than a mixture of alien and human. The grays, in effect, could be grossly altered bodies of human babies devoid of what we call soul and mentally programmed like dedicated computer hardware. Even Colonel Philip Corso, author of the book The Day After Roswell, admitted that the recovered bodies from the Roswell UFO crash were biological robots. He stated, It looked like these were clones, so the name came out Extraterrestrial Biological Entity, because that's what we figured they were. We never used the letters ET, there was no such thing. They were clones. They didn't look like clones, they were clones. We figured they were created by some other intellect. Dr. Stephen Greer has gained high-profile notoriety by organizing the Disclosure Initiative to raise public awareness of the UFO issue. Yet while Greer publicly lobbies to convince us that all extraterrestrial aliens are benevolent, enlightened beings here to spiritually advance corrupt humanity, he publicly admitted knowledge of top-secret government projects whereby demonic astral entities can be materialized into our 3D reality using sophisticated electromagnetic technologies. In a Project Camelot interview with Dr. Greer in July of 2009, he stated, I have had more than a dozen people who have worked in facilities in Dulce, New Mexico and in Pine Gap, Australia and other places where they have actually been growing the gray and reptilian species that people think are ETs and that the people who have been in the projects think they're working alongside an alien and they're not. They're absolutely what are called nanobiomachines. They are programmed life forms, and there is no question that such is going on. Greer further revealed, We have some at Lockheed and another program, I can't say where it is, 
and they have developed electromagnetic systems where they can put someone in a state and they can go into a lower astral or denser astral field. Some would call this demonic. And they can actually see beings and creatures there and bring them in three-dimensional and materialize them into flesh and blood through these electronics. Former FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover stated, The individual is handicapped by coming face to face with a conspiracy so monstrous he cannot believe it exists. The American mind has simply not come to a realization of the evil which has been introduced into our midst. Demons don't just happen, they are deliberately invoked. In 1939, astrologer Wilhelm Wolff described a secret research program within Adolf Hitler's Third Reich with ambitions to combine sophisticated, high-tech military science with occult black magic. To harness not only natural but supernatural forces. All intellectual, natural and supernatural sources of power. From modern technology to medieval black magic and from the teachings of Pythagoras to the Faustian pentagram incantation were to be exploited for the interests of final victory. Do we dare consider that even today, world leaders at the highest levels of power are a fraternity of occult practitioners who deliberately engage demonic forces to ravage the unsuspecting mass of humanity, as well as the earth itself, in return for vast political power, wealth, and prestige? A blood covenant that dooms humanity to wholesale death and enslavement. There are cosmic rules of play that require humans in mass must give consent to their corrupt oligarchical rulers in order for these demonic hyperdimensional entities to work with such rulers to advance their evil anti-human agenda. If true, this means that if humans withdraw consent in mass, these demonic entities cannot continue to advance their hideous agenda. Unfortunately, ignorance of this unholy agenda allows consent by default. The Holy Bible bluntly states, Our contest is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil who live in heavenly places. Charles Taze Russell, founder of Jehovah's Witness, prophesied that on October 2, 1914, the beginning of the end of humanity would commence with the emergence of the Antichrist as foretold by the Book of Revelation. Jack Parsons was born on that prophetic day. Returning now to the story of famed rocket scientist Jack Parsons, it seems that he was himself involved in a demonic ritual to create a programmed life form. Parsons had a sex magic partner in the Ordo Templi Orientis Lodge named Marjorie Cameron. 
While staying with a friend in Hollywood, Marjorie confessed that she had been part of the Babylon working ritual. She said that it had been devised by Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, Alistair Crowley, and Manhattan Project scientists based at the Los Alamos Atomic Bomb Research Unit, headed by Jewish scientist Robert Oppenheimer. Marjorie confessed that during the Babylon working ritual, assisted by L. Ron Hubbard, Jack Parsons had sexually impregnated her at the point when the spirit of the Antichrist was bestowed upon him. Cameron Parsons had been made pregnant with the child of the Antichrist. On a 40-day pilgrimage in the Mojave Desert, the place where Area 51 now resides, Parsons summoned forth Babylon the Scarlet Woman, the Whore of the Apocalypse, the consort of the Great Beast Satan. According to Hubbard, during the ritual he saw Parsons rip a hole in space-time and something flew in. Author and inventor of the new cult religion, Scientology, Mr. L. Ron Hubbard, former initiate of Aleister Crowley's Ordo Templi Orientis, wrote a so-called sacred text called Dianetics, which now has an inspired following of evangelical millionaires in Hollywood, just as the Kabbalah training schools are now full of people who had their interest in these Judaic magical techniques inspired by Britney Spears and Madonna. This giant Babylon working ritual saw Parsons, aided by his magical protege, L. Ron Hubbard, project their astral bodies into the dark abyss of Lucifer. 1948 saw George Bush Sr. baptized in the name of the demonic spirit Magog. That same year, Jack Parsons baptized himself as Balerion, Armilus, Al-Dajjal, the Antichrist. Parsons' twisted intent was to breed what the Kabbalah calls a golem. A golem is an artificially created humanoid, usually made from dead human body parts, which is animated by the magician chanting incantations and mantras. These magical voice sounds are what Kabbalists call twilight language. Isaac Bashevis Singer, winner of the Nobel Prize for Literature, once wrote, the Kabbalah teaches that dead matter is not really dead, but can be brought to life, as a golem, by chanting mantras. We are living in an epic of golem making right now, the rise of artificial intelligence. Jack Parsons told his former master that the fetus of the golem was later extracted from the womb of Marjorie Cameron Parsons by government agents who delivered it to a special team at the Manhattan Project atomic bomb facility. Creation of the Philosopher's Stone to master alchemy at its highest level by changing one element into another was accomplished by the Manhattan Project scientists who changed uranium into plutonium one of the highest secrets of alchemy. And where did the alchemical masters of the S1 committee of the Manhattan Project meet? 
They brought their occult science talents together in the chalet at Bohemian Grove. While men wearing owl masks and black robes listened to the manic laughter of Satan, it was at Bohemian Grove where the consummation of thousands of years of alchemical atomic research took place, nothing less than the birth of the bomb. The power of the atom was harnessed by the United States Army's Manhattan Project during the war and on July 16, 1945, in an act of wanton technological sorcery, that power was unleashed with the Trinity atomic bomb test in New Mexico. A group of American scientists led by Dr. J. Robert Oppenheimer gathered in a remote area of New Mexico at the 33rd parallel known as Hornada del Muerto or Journey of Death. There at 5.29 a.m. on July 16, 1945, the military detonated the first ever atomic bomb. American author Michael Hoffman, in his book Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, speculates that Marjorie Cameron's golem fetus may have been placed inside a giant 25-foot-long, 12-foot-in-diameter canister. This mysterious canister was nicknamed Jumbo. It was made of solid lead and cement. It is conceivable that the fetus was placed in the center of this canister and irradiated with the blast of the world's first atomic bomb, thus infusing the demon child with what Kabbalists called the demonic force of atomic fire. Two years later, Jack Parsons revealed to his mother that his golem child had lived and that it was female. A fan of ancient Hindu mantras was the Jewish Kabbalist genius J. Robert Oppenheimer. His team of Manhattan Project scientists took advanced alchemy to its absolute evil limits and appropriately upon detonation of the Trinity device, Dr. Oppenheimer, the bomb's designer, uttered the occult Vedic invocation, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Oppenheimer and his group of scientists called the first atomic bomb Trinity, but was this in reference to the Christian Trinity, or was it in reference to the Great Beast, the Scarlet Woman, and the Antichrist? Had Aleister Crowley's Aeon of Thelema come to fruition? Thelema is the Greek word for willpower. As Crowley predicted, it appears we are in the age of Thelema, where the whole of humanity is now at the mercy of the demons his black magic has unleashed. But Crowley's magic is not omnipotent. Humans are fully capable of engaging their own willpower to stop this abomination. More than mindless cattle, only capable of reacting and responding, we have forgotten that we are creatures of intention, of creation. If we can remember that, wake that up in ourselves, we have a chance. There is an invisible realm of real but unseen discarnate personalities. It is in these invisible realms that the elite seek their power. They commune with a populace of entities, many of which are malevolent and responsible for the pollution, wars, pestilence, and destruction on planet Earth. It is perhaps mankind's greatest challenge to stop Freemasons and black magicians from accessing these spirits of dark worship. 
We all have a role to play in the banishment of the satanic elite. You are either part of the problem or part of the solution.